Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and spreads everywhere, and and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. Tim, thank you for reading for us. Um, Hello again. It's good to have you here with us. As Andy mentioned, we are beginning a, a new series through the autumn, looking at Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter, And we're looking at the second half of that letter, but uh, we looked at the first half about a year ago uh, here at Fullwood in the evenings, but I reckon a lot of us weren't around then and others have uh, rusty minds. And so before we dive into the main heart of our series, this morning we have a very short reading from the first half of Paul's letter that will just get us into what Paul's talking about. I think in many ways that little reading summarizes the first half of his letter. So we're in a good place this morning to uh, dive into the second half of the book later on. I hope you received on the way in a a cream handout like this as well. It's got a little outline of where we're going in the next few moments. You might find it helpful to have that to hand. But uh, let me pray for us as we look at God's word together. Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus is our redeemer. He is our rock. We thank you that he died in our place to take away our sins. We thank you that whatever happens in our lives, whatever sorrows and sufferings come our way, that in Christ we have life and hope. And so please help us today, Father, to understand what it means to follow Christ and what to expect in this world until Christ returns. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I went on a conference for church leaders, and on the first morning, the the keynote speaker was a a well-known church leader, and... um, when he was welcomed to the stage, there was a, a fanfare of accolades as he, he walked on because he, was, he is quite a, a well-known person. He, he began a, a church many years ago just with a handful of people in his front sitting room. And now that church numbers over 20,000 people. Uh, he's written books on church life and they've sold in the millions. They've topped the, Times, the New York Times bestseller lists. Uh, people travel for, for miles and miles to, to ask him questions about uh, church leadership. Uh, he is in good standing, not just within the church, but within the kind of uh, wider world. Uh, leaders come and speak to him about how he leads things. Uh, he is a man in demand. I remember with my friends, we arrived at the conference. We were, we were excited that, to think that we could spend the morning listening to something, someone like this, someone so successful, so well-known. We were looking forward to it very much. That's one church leader. Let me tell you about a second church leader. I went to another conference very recently and I met someone else who also leads a church and five years ago, he took 20 people from Ascending Church and they went together on a church plant to a nearby town. That was five years ago. 
and they have worked very hard in over five years, but there are still only around 20 people in that church plant. They've tried to build good bridges with the community and to love people well and to invite them to events, but there hasn't really been much interest at all. There's been no new life yet through the church plant. And the week before the conference, this church leader had just had a conversation with a couple who are his key leaders. He helped to run the children's work and many other things too, and they just said to him that they have had enough. And it's just been too hard these five years. They're going to step down from leadership. In fact, they're leaving the church to go to a bigger church down the road. It's just, it's just been too hard. Now, I wonder if I were to announce that next week, one of those church leaders was due to come and preach here in the morning. I wonder which leader you'd be more excited about hearing from. The mega church leader who has written many books and who is the talk of the town, or my friend who's led a church plan for five years and it's now smaller than when it began. This morning, as I say, we began a new series in 2 Corinthians and I reckon that they face a very similar choice to the one I just gave you now. Uh, and Paul is concerned as he looks at the choice that he has. He's concerned that they'll make the wrong decision. On the one hand, the Corinthians have uh, people around in Corinth. Uh, we'll, we'll, meet much, we'll, we'll hear much more about them this term, but they're called the super apostles in Paul's letter. And they are very attractive people. They speak with real fluency. They're the kind of people that the world loves to listen to, whether you're in the church or outside of the church. Um, they command great crowds. When they talk about Jesus, somehow the way they talk about him doesn't put anyone off. Everyone loves his version or their version of Jesus. In fact, they're so popular, they can command quite a speaking fee when they rock up at various places. And the way they talk about the Christian life is just one upward glorious curve. No weakness, no brokenness, no tears. But also around in Corinth, well not in Corinth, but someone who's been around the Corinthians is, is Paul. The Apostle Paul, the one who writes the letter. And in the eyes of the world, he is a weak man. He does not speak with the same fluency as the other leaders. When he does speak, lots of people seem to be put off by what he has to say. When he travels around, he seems to spend more time in the local prison than in the local Hilton Hotel. He's often driven out of town. And uh, during Paul's first visit to Corinth, uh, you can read about it in Acts 18, that many people had become Christians. The church had started well. But after Paul left, problems emerged in the church. There were serious moral and spiritual failings. And, and Paul had to write various letters to correct what was going on, including 1 Corinthians. He had a, a painful second visit that went terribly badly because there was such friction between Paul and the Corinthians. And so Paul is concerned that the Corinthians are about to cut ties with him. They're going to say no to Paul and a big yes to the super apostles around in Corinth. And Paul's purpose then in writing to Corinthians is to urge the Corinthians not to give up on Paul. Now, this is very important. Paul is not on some ego trip to kind of increase his ratings on Facebook to have more followers because Paul knows that if the Corinthians give up on Paul, they are, in fact, giving up on the authentic gospel ministry because the apostle Paul is an authentic apostle. And so he writes, he pleads with them not to give up. And yet, as 2 Corinthians begins, it seems that things hang in the balance if you have a Bible handy, just look back before our reading to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and look at verse 16. Paul says, 
I plan to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. But that visit never came. Look across to chapter two, verse one. Paul says, so I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you for if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? See, it seems that Paul's previous visit had just gone so badly wrong. There'd been so much um, disagreement between the apostle and his people that he just couldn't face going back for another visit. It's, it's just too relationally difficult. And so instead he sends his dear friend Titus to Corinth with what is now known as the painful letter. It's lost to us now, but it seems to be that Paul wrote one last time to try to bring them back to him uh, with a rebuke and a challenge. And as Paul waits to hear from Titus to, to see how that letter has gone down in the, the, the Corinthian church, he, I think, begins to, to pen two Corinthians to urge them not to give up on him. And for us sitting here many years later in Sheffield, not Corinth, I think we desperately need to hear what Paul has to say in 2 Corinthians because it'll help us to know what kind of leaders we should look for, both here at Ford, but when we leave this church family, and I guess most of us will at some point leave here, what kind of church leaders should we look for? It'll help us to know what success and failure looks like in the Christian life and in gospel ministry. It'll help us not to prize worldly power And it'll help us to keep going to the end with the substance and the style of authentic gospel ministry. Well, our our reading from 2 Corinthians uh, 2, 12 to 17, gives us a great summary of what Paul says in the first half of his letter. And basically he says this, don't give up. Don't give up on Paul, the apostle, and don't give up on gospel ministry. And this morning there's three reasons why we shouldn't give up. And the first is there on the handout. Don't give up the, the triumph of genuine gospel ministry. So look at verse 12. Paul says, Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, I found that the Lord had opened a door for me. I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. Remember, Paul had been planning to go to Corinth, but now we discover that he hasn't gone to Corinth, he won't go to Corinth, instead he's gone to, to Troas. If you have the handout over the, over the page in the back, there's a, a map of the Mediterranean area, uh, the sea is kind of in grey, and um, the, if you look to the right-hand bottom circle, um, Paul is writing from Ephesus, or just near Ephesus, and the plan had been that he'd cross the Mediterranean across to Corinth, the uh, left-hand circle, to visit the Corinthians, but he's just telling them now, do you know what, I'm not going to come, in fact, I'm going to go to Troas, which is the top circle up north, it's 250 miles away from Corinth in the opposite direction on his way to Macedonia. You see, it's a completely different change of plan. It's not at all what he promised them, um, as you see that, that on the map. We'll back over the page to the main handout. I think it seems to the Corinthians that as they hear about Paul's change of travel plan, they think, well, Paul just can't make up his mind. On one hand, it's yes, and then it's no. It seems that Paul doesn't know where he'll be next. He's just bumbling around the Mediterranean without a a clear strategy. Where's the five-year plan, Paul? You seem to make it up as you go along. It's as if um, Paul's like a a gap-year student backpacking around Southeast Asia, just going with the flow wherever he fancies going next with no plan. It's fine if you're a student, but it's not fine if you're an apostle of Christ. Look at 
meant to lead the church. And on top of that, we discover Paul is distressed because he cannot find Titus. It's not that Paul is lonely. It's that Titus was due to come back from Corinth with news of how his severe letter had gone down. And he is so agitated about what will happen with the Corinthians. He he has no rest, no peace. I guess if you happen to walk by Paul's room late at night, you would probably see his light on as he tosses and turns, unable to sleep, racked with worry about the Corinthians. And so from a human perspective, Paul's ministry looks weak. He seems to have no plan, no strategy. Or if he has, he can't stick to it. He's making up things as he goes along. And along with it, he's weak and anxious, worried about people. But then Paul continues with the most extraordinary words. Look at verse 14. But, he says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal possession in Christ. When France won the Football World Cup, the, uh, the next day the, the winning team returned to Paris and um, you can imagine the pictures, can't you? They, they were put onto an open-top bus and they were paraded through the city centre of Paris along the Champs-Élysées and there were hundreds of thousands of people who turned out to cheer the victory as the bus um, sailed along. And a wonderful moment of great um, triumph. And back in Paul's day, I guess there were similar moments, not to do with football, but to do with the army. Uh, if uh, uh, a Roman army headed off on a campaign, and if they won, often the general would come back to Rome in, in triumph and glory, and how they celebrated was to put on a, a big parade. And the winning general would be at the front of the parade, the procession, and it would pass through the city, and behind would come um, the, the army that had won, and people celebrating, and behind them would come some prisoners who were captured in the battle, those who had lost, and it was a moment of triumph, a great spectacle. And Paul borrows from that first century well-known sort of thing, the, the triumphal procession in Rome, and he, he relates that to his own life. That's the picture of verse 14. From a human perspective, it looks as if Paul is wandering around the Mediterranean without a plan or a clue. But what is actually happening is that in Christ, he is being led in a triumphal and glorious procession across the world. Be it no doubt that Christ is the hero. He is the, the captain at the head of the army. He is the one who, by dying in great shame on the cross, dying for sin, he put sin to death and also put death to death. And rising to glory, he now reigns eternally forever in the throne of heaven. He is the hero. He is at the front of the triumphal procession. But Paul is behind him. Uh, traveling with him in the wake of his glory. The triumph of gospel ministry is not found in having all the answers or executing five-year plans or having a brilliant strategy or even in feeling happy or peaceful. The triumph of gospel ministry is found in following and proclaiming the risen and exalted Christ. Did you notice what Paul is doing as he went to Troas, verse 12? He went to preach the gospel of Christ. And then also in verse 14, notice what he's doing as he follows Christ. And through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. In a Roman triumph parade, you had the the general at the front and then behind would be a person with um, incense smoking swinging back and forth and 
It was part of the drama of the victory that you'd see and smell the smoke, and it was part of how you knew that the victory had occurred. It would just help to add more layers of excitement to the moment. And um, I've changed my mind on this. I, I, last time I preached in 2 Corinthians, I said that Paul was perhaps in the back as a prisoner of Christ in shame, but I, I now think he was probably the, the guy swinging the incense. Uh, he had a role to play in, in broadcasting around the news of Christ's victory with this picture of the, the aroma, the fragrance being blasted around behind the victorious, victorious leader. That's the picture, I think, in verse 14. The fragrance of Christ's victory is spread as Paul preaches the gospel. And so Paul says, don't give up the triumph of genuine gospel ministry. I think of my friend who led that church plant. His five-year plan is in tatters. It hasn't gone at all how he hoped it would go. It's been much harder. And as he recounted to me the decision of those leaders to step back from their role, you could see the pain in his eyes. That, That loss of partnership really got to him. It was agonizing for him. It would be very tempting for him to give up on Paul's gospel message to find an easier way for growth. But to stick with Paul is to step in line behind Christ and Paul and to be part of this victory march heading across the world full of glory and victory. For us here at Forward, what will make our ministry glorious and triumphant is not the numbers that come on a Sunday. It's not a well-drilled band helping us to sing well or glossy flyers you can pass around to the parish. It won't be a, a successful building project with, with new chairs and good heating and triple glazing. The, the triumph of gospel ministry is in the proclamation of a king who died on the cross, who is now raised to glory and was simply following in his footsteps. And when it comes to thinking about what kind of church leader we should follow, uh, for those who will leave here to go off to university or um, for us even here at Forward, it's okay if sometimes a church leader doesn't know what to do. It's okay if at times the church leader, the, the, the strategy is in tatters or they change their minds. It's okay if the church leader at times lies awake at night worrying about people. As long as... They are proclaiming the great news of a suffering king who died on a cross for sins and now reigns in glory in heaven. The triumph of genuine gospel ministry. Don't give up, says Paul. Second, don't give up the divisiveness of genuine gospel ministry. Look at verse 15. Paul says, For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved, and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. Now, uh, Paul runs with this picture of a Roman uh, procession, uh, and, and he, uh, uh, he pictures the different groups passing along as, as they march through. So you've got the, the general at the front, you've got the, the incense wafting around, and then you have behind um, the, the victory soldiers, the ones who've won, and they smell the incense, and it, it, it reminds them, yes, we have won. It's life and victory. But as things move along, you get towards the back of the procession and you come to those who have lost, the prisoners. And they smell the same incense, the same smoke wafting around. And to them, the very same smell to them is a smell of defeat and of death. That's the picture here that Paul paints for us. 
And as Paul spreads the aroma of Christ through his preaching, he sees two kinds of people, those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And the way you can tell who is who is by what they smell when they hear his message about Christ. Over the summer, I've been uh, reading a biography of the great 18th century preacher George Whitfield. Um, it's a brilliant read if you want to um, enjoy a good story. Um, but uh, he describes one particular day when he went to Bristol to preach the gospel to a rough part of town. He went to an, a coal mining area, um, a place of great deprivation, of poverty. It was a rough area. There were no churches there. Anyone who was sort of self-respecting wouldn't be found there. It was full of um, disrepute. And just picture this scene as, as Whitfield arrives. He, he rides into this kind of um, sooty, dusty um, uh, square, and he stands on a grassy knoll, and he starts to preach. And coal miners gather around and see what on earth he's talking about. And then, according to his own words, this is what happens next. Having no righteousness of their own to renounce, they were glad to hear of a Jesus who was a friend of publicans and who came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. The first discovery of their being affected was to see the white gutters made by the tears which plentifully fell down their black cheeks as they came out of the coal pits. Hundreds and hundreds of them were soon brought under deep convictions which, as the event proved, happily ended in a sound and thorough conversion. The fragrance of life. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? What does it take to be accepted by Christ? Not a list of impressive things we've done, but rather a willingness to say, I'm a sinner. Please help me. Please forgive me. And these coal miners discovered Christ and the joy of life in him. But not everyone who heard Whitfield's preaching had the same reaction. There were many others who refused to let him come and preach in their area. There were others who, as they gathered around in the crowds, would mock and jeer and call out. And sometimes people threw dead cats and dogs onto the stage to distract him. And in fact, one of his friends was hit on the head with a rock and he died. It wasn't an easy time. The same message of forgiveness, hated by others, turning away as if they smelt the smell of death. They were so disgusted by it. And so often that's the case when we're told that we can do nothing to earn our favor with God. We simply come as sinners begging for forgiveness. That message can be so offensive to people. They turn away in disgust. And as they turn away, they head towards their death. I'm sure many of you know that there's a, a healthy rivalry between the two universities here in Sheffield. And um, every year there's a, a, a varsity sports competition. And every year at the end of the competition, there's, there's one winner and, the, and there's one loser. And I'm told that when the University of Sheffield wins, they take their colors and they, they plaster it on the side of the arts tower way up high so that everyone can see it across the city. We've won. Now imagine you're a student in Sheffield. There's, what, 50,000 or so million around, well, soon there will be. You look up to the arch tower, and depending on who you are, you look up and you see victory. We've won. For others, you look up in the same sign, and they see defeat. We've lost. And what is true for arch towers in Sheffield is true when Paul preaches Christ, the genuine gospel. It's like a great banner flying across the world, and it divides humanity. Some hear the offer of life, they accept it and find life. Others hear it and are repelled by it and so head towards death. 
the divisiveness of genuine gospel ministry. And the Corinthians, they were in danger of walking away from Paul because they just didn't like having a leader who was so divisive. They wanted the kind of leader who always was positively spoken about by people, but Paul wasn't that leader. Many who heard him were put off by him, and the Corinthians just didn't want that kind of apostle. And what about us here today? It's, um, it's lovely being part of a large church family coming here today with several hundred people here. And across the day, perhaps a thousand people will come through this building. And I guess many of us here would say that we are big supporters of the Apostle Paul. We're with him. We're on board with him. And when he is the flavor of the month, it's easy saying, yeah, I'm with Paul. I'm with his message. It's easy with a large youth group when that's the flavor. Or when the students arrive back, it's easy then. But let me play the what if game with you this morning. Uh, What if, as is increasingly the case, our culture becomes intolerant of what the Apostle Paul has to say about sin and life and repentance and forgiveness? Uh, What if what we say here as we follow Paul becomes increasingly out of date and not fashionable in the world's eyes? Imagine in two years' time we arrive on a Sunday and there's a, a, a crowd of people with placards and posters shouting and singing against us as we arrive. We have to pass through them to get here. Imagine at school when people discover that we go to Fullwood. Imagine that we start to be pushed to one side. A campaign group is started to stop people coming to Fullwood to go to the school. Imagine that that kind of opposition takes its toll on the numbers here at Fullwood. Imagine that 1,000 becomes 500, becomes 300. Imagine we start laying off the staff team. The the band becomes a piano. The the youth and children's work becomes nothing. And the numbers keep dropping, 300 to 100 to 50 to 30. I wonder if then we would be as quick to say, I follow Paul's message about Christ when Paul is not the flavor of the month when the preaching of the gospel brings division. I wonder if we'd be around. And it helps to remember that there's nothing wrong with Paul's message about Christ. It's a wonderful, glorious message, but it does bring division. Don't give up the divisiveness of gospel ministry. Finally, very quickly, don't give up the motivation for genuine gospel ministry. Look at verse 17. Paul says, Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. I think it's a thinly veiled reference to the so-called super apostles around in Corinth. We'll hear much more about them uh, this term. But it seems that they did preach Christ for profit, um, possibly for a financial gain. And there are many people around this world who do preach a kind of Christ in order to make money. But I think perhaps the main point here is that these preachers were preaching Christ in order to gain profit in terms of social standing, a, a larger crowd of followers who liked them. And sadly, many people in this country preach that kind of Christ that is all about status and popularity. Uh, there are churches in this country who, who, who won't preach the hard things, the, the negative things, the, the, the call to repentance, because the logic goes, we don't want to put people off. We don't want to scare people. Our numbers are small enough as it is. And so we'll, we'll take away the offensive bits of what we have to say and we'll just talk about things like love and acceptance and then we'll, we'll get more people in. You see the kind of, the, the, the desire for profit in that sense? It is very tempting. Imagine um, someone at work or maybe one of our mates at school saying to us, do you really believe that people shouldn't sleep together until they're married. Do you really believe that in this 21st century? 
No one believes that, except the Apostle Paul teaches that. And when we find ourselves chatting in the school gates or in the office, it's so easy, isn't it, to want to save face, to, to backpedal, to say, well, you know, and fudge it, because we, we want people to like us. Profit, you see. Paul is not out for profit or social standing. Instead, verse 17. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. I know it's possible to, to be that kind of person who's just annoying and brash in how we speak anyway and we offend people just because we're annoying. That's not what Paul is saying to be like. Rather, Paul is picturing here that that whenever he speaks to anyone about the gospel and what God would have us do, he remembers that God is with him, that God sees what he's saying, he hears it. And what Paul is more concerned about is not what his friends think, but what God thinks of him. His desire is to please God. The motivation for genuine gospel ministry. As it happens, those... Church leaders, I mentioned at the start, both the mega church leader and the, the, the small church plant leader, I think both of them are genuine, faithful gospel preachers. But we'll discover through 2 Corinthians that numbers and profile are a very poor indication of faithfulness to the gospel. And that often the pattern of the gospel is suffering first glory later. And if we are to stick with Paul and his weak but powerful message we'll have to expect in this life moments of weakness and of hardship and of ridicule. But Paul would say to us this time, don't give up because the gospel message is a message of victory, of glory, and of power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Christ did not come for the healthy, but he came for the sick. And Father, we thank you once again for that wonderful offer of life to any who come and simply fall down on our knees, knowing that we cannot be good enough. But we have a wonderful Savior who has died in our place. Father, we thank you for life in Christ. We thank you for victory in Christ. Father, please help us be a people who stick with the message of Christ. Help us to be a people who, whatever the cost, are willing to tell others, to kind of waft around the, the aroma of Christ at school, in our neighborhoods, at work. Even if people think we're crazy, please help us um, because we love you and we love them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.